Hello and welcome to this latest Fraser of Allender podcast. Hi, Mary Spurridge. I'm the Deputy Director of the Fraser of Allender Institute at the University of Strathclyde. Today we're going to talk to a business who operates in the hospitality sector in Scotland, in the UK and, and actually wider afield as well. Over the period of the lockdown, there's been a lot of discussion um, of the impact of the mothballing of various sectors of the economy on the hospitality industry. And we thought it would be helpful to talk to a business whose experience has been um, fairly positive in terms of the emergence from the lockdown and how they're adapting to this new normal of the way people are interacting with the hospitality industry. So we're delighted to be joined today by Bex Moore from Travel Nest. Now, Bex will do a much better job of describing what Travel Nest do than I will. But my understanding is that it's a software solution for holiday rental properties. And essentially the business is designed to help property owners connect with their customers across a variety of platforms. Have I described that fairly well, Rebex? Hi, Mary. Yes, I think that's a, a pretty good uh, start. So, um, yeah, what we're essentially trying to do is, is solve uh, a problem for our owners that are owners of uh, holiday rentals, as we've said. Um, but we're trying to do it a slightly different way to everybody else. Um, we've recognised that this industry is actually it's very different to a typical industry uh, in that the majority of uh, businesses in it are very small businesses. They are people that have one to three properties. Perhaps they are looking to create you know, a full-time new occupation for themselves or perhaps they're looking for supplementary income in, in some way. And therefore, we, we are almost dealing with, a, I guess, a consumer um, experience in a way that people are looking for something incredibly simple, easy, that does a, a really, really good job for them. So we're looking to help them solve their number one problem, which is get my property booked, get at the maximum number of nights occupancy and the best uh, possible profitability that I can achieve with this property. So that's, that's what we're ultimately uh, aiming to do with software that makes it incredibly simple and straightforward uh, for our hosts. So we take away all that administrative pain of having to um, deal with inquiries, process the bookings, process all the payments that go alongside it and give them maximum exposure to all of the opportunity and channels and, and travellers that are out there. Um, and, and so far so good. So we've got a number of um, fantastic properties uh, on, our, on our books um, and uh, they're yeah, all going extremely well. Yeah. And also joining us today, I'm delighted to say, so we can get the, the sort of view from the, from the ground, if you like, is, is Gordon Murray, who's described himself as a first generation farmer, um, which is interesting. Um, but he, um, he has a property which Travelness helped them um, get to customers. Um, but he is a farmer in, in, in partnership with his partner, Susie, in a, in a farm uh, near Mulgai. So, um, Gordon, could you just briefly say um, why you got into property rentals, given you also are a farmer? Well, um, Susie and I, um, as I say, we're, I'm a first-generation farmer. I started farming when I was about, well, I started keeping sheep and cattle when I was about the age of 14, going to agricultural college and um, buying some land locally, um, having to borrow the money, of course. 
Um, the farm gradually increased in size and I met Susie and we've had children and our children are now all at primary school. We needed to supplement our income and um, coupled with Brexit, we were quite worried with um, the way the future of farming was going to go. So we um, actually applied for a farm diversification grant called Leader Funding and uh, we were successful in applying for that grant. And um, this was a, for a diversification to go into tourism. And we commissioned a, 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 a builder, a, a designer in Castle Douglas to um, build our property for us. We wanted something to, we wanted to build something that stood out on the booking platforms. It, um, people would be scrolling through and it would be an eye catcher. And, I think he was uh, very successful in delivering that to us. Um, we, um, so we, well, the building actually came a year ago this week and we opened for business on the 14th of February of Valentine's Day of this year. So. A great day to open up, I would imagine, <laughs> with a hot tub as well. Um, <laughs> okay, so just thinking more broadly then, um, Bex, um, as I said in the intro, there has been a lot of discussion about the lockdown associated with the pandemic and the constraints that are caused by hygiene measures and physical distancing and the future pose particular constraints for the hospitality industry in general. But what's been your experience for your business during the lockdown and as the economy opens up? Well, it's, it's been, um, I guess, a, a journey of extremes, I would call it. So uh, when we saw lockdown starting to take effect, uh, obviously there was our own situation of just making sure everybody could work from home, closing the office, um, etc. And then uh, overnight, our properties had to be emptied. Um, so for ourselves and for our owners, you know, really difficult period of uh, three and a half months of more cancellations than bookings and empty properties unless we were giving accommodation to key workers. Uh, so that obviously has quite a severe financial implication for, for anyone in this uh, industry. Uh, and then on the other extreme, we had uh, Boris Johnson opening up tourism on the 23rd of June for England starting from the 4th of July. Uh, and then Nicola Sturgeon opened up uh, tourism in Scotland from the 3rd of July, earlier than she'd indicated she was going to do it on the, on the 24th. So we went from uh, a negative revenue position to overnight the best uh, days of bookings we have ever seen by almost a factor of two. Um, and that continued and still continues now. Uh, and the reasons for that are we're seeing something actually quite interesting in the world of travel. I mean, travel as a sector is probably the most hardly hit sector out of all of the uh, all of the sectors hit by COVID. Uh, however, vacation rentals do offer something to people that want to get away. And with people being cooped up in their houses for you know three and a half months, I think a lot of people are are seeking to do that. For people that want a holiday and want a break. Um, there's an answer there and the vacation rental offers that because typically it's it's set apart from other buildings and we have a very 
a strong bias to rural properties so a lot of kind of nice isolated uh, locations and you can do it in a way that gives people reassurance about the, the cleanliness and the social distancing you can do contactless entry uh, and a lot, a lot, a lot of owners are, are well. All the owners are being very careful about following the government guidelines to to ensure that they are clean to the standards required for COVID. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, some real extremes there, uh, and it was fantastic to see the level of bounce back that we got when when lockdown started to ease for ourselves, and most importantly for for owners who've been through some really tough times in that period. Yeah, so you talked about the, some of the, the sort of adaptations and the things that need to be thought about as you were opening up with this high level of demand that you saw and also probably a bit of the change in consumer desires in terms of the sorts of things that we were wanting. I guess the sorts of adaptations that you made to your business in order to attract consumers, I mean, how much do you see the changes in consumer behaviour that you're seeing just now as a kind of trend that might continue or, or, or changes that might persist in the industry? It's, yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, so I, I actually have come from a, a travel background. I worked in, in, in Skyscanner previous to this. And so I've, I've, I've travelled the world and studied travel booking behaviours um, quite extensively. And I've never seen a shift like this. Um, so 2019, the, the vacation rental share of accommodations was about 15% globally in terms of market share. And um, when, when we were in lockdown, we did a survey of travellers to understand what their choices might be coming out of lockdown. A, were they interested in travel? And B, what kind of travel uh, options would they look at? And what, what was incredibly interested was, interesting was how many people actually were wanting to travel. So 83% of people said they wanted to travel within the next 12 months. So they weren't deterred per se by, by the COVID-19 situation but their behaviours certainly um, would change. 66% uh, of people said they wanted to stay in a vacation rental as opposed to a hotel. And when you think previously the market share of vacation rentals was 15%, 15% to 66%, that's a, a huge shift. Uh, and a very, very strong bias to wanting to go short haul, mostly domestic. And so the, the shifts that we've actually seen coming out of, of lockdown are, uh, I guess threefold. There's the bias towards domestic travel and actually for the UK that gives us a significant um, advantage because in a typical year Brits like to escape abroad much more than people like to come and visit us. So typically uh, we would be uh, in a much lower position in terms of tourism spend in the UK. We're actually the second biggest market to get an advantage globally in this in the world in terms of dollars spent in the UK uh, increase because of domestic tourism being, being the favourite. Uh, there's also a strong bias towards rural uh, and we have seen our rural portfolio um, uh, be completely booked out versus our city portfolios mm -hmm. are struggling a little bit more um, uh, to get bookings. And then the third one, as I mentioned before, is this bias towards um, uh, vacation rentals uh, over other accommodation choices. So we're certainly getting a short-term uh, uh, set of advantages or, or you know tailwinds that are really really helping uh, uh, for anyone that's in the vacation rental um, sector. The interesting thing will be to see how that plays out over a longer time frame mm -hmm. uh, and we have 
we have data and we have seen in the past vacation rentals has been the fastest growing vertical in travel by an order of magnitude. Um, and that's come about because uh, it, it's going through a level of modernization a bit later than other travel verticals. So, you know, flights got themselves, I guess, organized with um, booking engines, NetaSearch, um, that shift to online many decades ago. Whereas with vacation rentals, it's been much more recent. So the likes of Airbnb, Booking.com, Expedia, tri uh, TripAdvisor, etc. are all really accelerating this um, move from offline to online and providing that choice uh, in a much more traveller-friendly, bookable way. Um, so that trend was already there of, of um, people fast starting to move towards vacation rentals. And then there are some studies that tell us that if someone stays in a vacation rental property, they are half as likely to then choose a hotel again in the future. And that can be for a number of reasons, you know, um, you know, for families, for example, it can be a, a very much more convenient option for them. You can get lots of space, different rooms for bedrooms for kids with the same price as maybe one hotel room in a, in a grand hotel. Um, you know, you can prepare your own meals. There's also, um, I, I think hosts are becoming far more um, savvy about how to offer something really unique to people that are looking for vacation rentals. So the amount of incredible different properties and really unusual locations that we have in our books is uh, it never fails to amaze me you know we've got yurts we've got uh, Romani gypsy caravans we've got eco roundhouses we've got all kinds of different properties and people really love that ability to say I've been somewhere different I've done something un unusual and it's hard for hotels to compete with that yeah. Um, so yeah there's there's a huge macro shift in traveller behaviour that we're seeing uh, biasing towards vacation rental uh, choice for the traveller and it's just really interesting to see that unfold. Yeah, so yeah, so that shift obviously and the preference for rural and more of your own space, um, it will be really interesting to see how that persists into, into sort of into next year. Um, just thinking back to the kind of the pandemic period um, where the lockdown was was um, most severe, um, uh, there's been a lot of government support that's sort of been flung at different types of businesses to help them kind of survive through that period in particular. And obviously the job retention scheme is still in place until the end of October. Um, but I know that um, Travelness is obviously a fairly young startup company what sort of challenges did you have in, in accessing government support given that, that you were in that position? Yeah, it's interesting because we're not, we don't follow a typical business profile. So what we've found actually is our ability to qualify for any of the help on offer has been incredibly difficult. And to date, the only support we've had has been furlough, which we, we took full advantage of and has been you know, fantastic support. What it's enabled us to do is retain 100% of our permanent staff. Uh, however, we've been so busy since lockdown, they're all 100% back. Um, we actually took a, a salary cut during the period as well, went down to 80% uh, hours and pay. Uh, and we're back to 100% now as well because we're just so incredibly busy. We need all hands to the, to the pump. But what we haven't been able to offset and will take many, many, many months to offset as the years even is the uh, three and a half months of persistent 
negative revenue, more cancellations uh, than bookings. And, and that's really what we need support for and to bridge us to our next uh, funding round uh, as a startup. Um, and, and because we are venture capital backed, our bank balance looks very healthy because we've got a lot of funding in there, but that funding has to last us through to meeting milestones to be able to then get additional funding. Uh, so I'm very pleased to say that there's, uh, there's been an acknowledgement of this and uh, there are now some opportunities out there that weren't there before for us to um, apply for and we are applying for. Uh, and hopefully they will come through for us. But yeah, but yeah, the typical support that's on offer, you know, the bounce back loans, the C-bills loans, and these types of things weren't really designed with our type of business in mind. So to date, we've had no support other than furlough. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things um, as this crisis has evolved is um, in some ways, the, the, the very fast policy response from government, um, starting with the budget in March, um, and evolving over the, the period as um, more groups or businesses said, well, that doesn't cover us. So <laughs> what are you going to do for us? It's sort of um, you know, policy whack-a-mole when something else popped up, you know, that some another thing was put in place. But it is interesting how the business support um, and in some places, in some cases, the, the support for other sectors doesn't either support people who have had quite responsible practices, so have large reserves or things like that, or um, people with more innovative or more modern <laughs> business models. Um, you know that it, it hasn't necessarily been there to, to support um, to support companies like yourselves, for example. So. Just to turn into to Gordon now, um, you know, as, as a property owner, somebody on the ground, so Bex has talked about the big picture in the company. Um, so what was kind of your experience of, of the lockdown and then the, the easing of restrictions is what she says kind of chime with your experience? Yes, yes, it does. We, um, well, we opened on, as I said, on the 14th of February and we were, at, um, we opened for bookings though uh, the first week in January and we had bookings, we were fully booked from the 14th of February right through and into April. We weren't fully booked for May, but we had a lot of bookings through May and June. So once um, lockdown came on the 23rd of, of, of um, March, a lot of these bookings then had to be cancelled. Quite a few have rescheduled and um, uh, travel nests were great because any bookings that we had been paid for, we didn't have to refund, refund them. We just carried, the, the, just carried it over for us. So um, it, it would come off our balance once we were starting to get bookings again. And then when we did open up, when we have opened up, um, we we didn't open up until the 20th of July, I think it was. We didn't open when Nicola said, Nicola Sturgeon said we could open. Um, so, and we have, we've been fully booked again since then. So, um, no, it's, it's, it, yeah, um, Travanessa supported us the whole way through all the lockdown periods with support and guidance, um, putting out regular blogs, how to increase our bookings when uh, lockdown was going to be eased, um, making suggestions like uh, um, relaxing our cancellation policies in case people mm -hmm. fell ill or um, things like that. So that helped us get bookings um, um, right through and as, as I say we're almost fully booked until the end of the year certainly until the end of October so right and November and December are very busy as well so yeah 
So how easy have you, you found it to adapt? Because, um, you know, they'll obviously, um, and, you know, travel unless, I guess, will have supported you in, in this, but you'll have had to put new measures in place when people are coming along to your, your properties and a changeover and things like that. How easy have you found it that, to adapt? Yeah, that we have found difficult. Susie, my partner, does, when we were open pre-lockdown, she was doing all the cleaning, check-ins, check-out, sorry, is 10 o'clock and check-in is at 3 o'clock, and she was managing it all herself in that time. Um, since we have uh, post-lockdown, she can't manage all herself, and I, am ha I have now got a part-time job out the farm as a cleaner, and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm now in there, so everything gets deep cleaned. We've had to buy extra laundry, extra bedding, because everything gets changed between guests. Um, so and everything, everything any guest could have touched now gets, now gets washed. And disinfected, including the hot tub, it gets drained, disinfected, and then fresh water put in. So everything is um, it, there is a lot more work and expense um, do, doing doing the changeovers. We also joined the Association of Self Caterers, and uh, they've provided great advice um, for for the cleaning protocols. Um, as have uh, we also joined a um, member of an agri tour Scottish agri tourism group run by Scottish Enterprise, and they've also been very supportive, having regular meetings throughout lockdown on the way forward for businesses like ourselves. So has that allowed you to interact with your kind of peers, other people in your situation, to talk about the best way to handle these yeah. these additional burdens that you have? Yes, there's a group of about 50, over 50 farmers okay. um, who are rural businesses who have properties like ourselves. Um, and we, we met regularly and bounced ideas off each other and um, it's been a, a, a great support network for us, yeah. I wonder, obviously, a big part of, um, you know, uh, holiday rental tourism in, in, in rural areas is, is, you know, it brings people to, you know, the villages and towns and various places and, um, Obviously, um, I'm sure Beck's probably got the figures to hand, but I know that a big part of the, the economic impact of, of these properties is that people then spend in the local area as well. You know, they'll go to local pubs or restaurants or shops, you know, and that's, um, that's an important part of the kind of benefit to the, the local rural economy. Um, I know you're not particularly rural, obviously, out near Mulgay, but still, um, you know, uh, have you seen or, or heard if that behaviour's kind of changed a bit since since the um, restrictions have eased, we 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 do it. We, we interact with our guests. We meet them when they arrive, and we always say to them, "If there's anything we can help you with, um, please let us know." And quite a few, in fact, I would say nearly all of them post lockdown have gone out for dinner in one way or another down to Mogai. I, I can't say where they've gone, but um, and last night we had a somebody coming at the end of this month. As I said, they don't want to go into, they're not confident to go to a restaurant yet, but they would like to have a local takeaway from a local restaurant. And can we suggest any? So we compile a list for every guest of our local restaurants and for some in Glasgow that we personally like. And we, um, we send them these, detail, these details. So we, we are finding that they are still going out. But as I say, some of them, um, are taking takeaways back to the building it's back here uh, themselves so they're not all of them are confident of eating in restaurants just yet 
yeah and I suppose that's a pattern we're seeing with wider consumer behavior there are a lot of people who are quite keen but um you know the sort of the overall volume is, is definitely not not normal and nor can it be I guess given capacity constraints that restaurants will be operating under yeah so Bex just in terms of you know the wider view does, does Gordon's experience on the ground kind of chime with what you're hearing from from other property owners yeah absolutely so uh we we're a global company. We have properties in 60 different markets around the world, uh, but the bulk of our portfolio is in the UK and we, we over-index in Scotland. And actually, interestingly, we are seeing Scotland has our highest nights booked per property out of all of our properties everywhere. Um, that and the Cornwall region are very, very popular. Um, and I guess that's because, we, you know, again, that kind of rural being able to get away from, from the masses uh, swing that we're seeing. What we're also seeing is, um, well, from data on average, as well as the money spent on the accommodation. So for our, our Scottish portfolio, we estimate we'll be bringing about £3.5 million worth of tourism spending and just on the accommodation side of booking, booking accommodation. As well as that, the average person spends about £277 per person on a week's holiday. So that will generate around £600, that, you know, £3.5 million worth of spend on accommodation will generate another £600,000 plus on spending in the local economy, you know, on restaurants, perhaps a day trip somewhere, um, etc. So, uh, and, and it brings money to places that probably very desperately need it you know very rural uh, communities we've got a lot of properties out on the islands or you know far west coast etc so it's it's bringing money uh, into into local supply chains for local shop owners local restaurateurs um, uh, to really support them Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as, as we've um, talked about in a lot of our webinars and our articles throughout the, throughout the crisis, um, obviously a concern would be that um, some of this impacted sectors throughout this crisis will exacerbate some existing inequalities in the country and, and we would be particularly worried about rural areas. Um, and uh, you know, and a lot of the hospitality-related sectors, so the restaurants and the pubs and so on, that people visiting your properties might also spend money in. Obviously, big employers of of, um, of young people, for example, and, and and particularly in rural areas, and it can be one of the main main uh, sources of opportunity. So, as a concern about the, the inequalities, it could exacerbate if there are restrictions and um, you know issues with those industries um, in the year to come. Just to put that in, in perspective uh, for you, the hospitality and leisure sector was the most highly furloughed sector. Um, with 73% of its workers furloughed through the period. And uh, there's a study that's been done by McKinsey that also highlights it as this sector with the highest risk of job losses. And it's um, uh, putting that at around a 68% risk of job losses in that sector. So to be able to give a boost to that sector, to bring some much needed cash flow into it and uh, really help stimulate that part of the economy is something that we find hugely motivating and driving uh, at Travel Nest and, you know, gets us out of bed every morning. So, you know, just, to, just to give you an example of, you know, we had a we had to take on temporary work to help us through the boost when everything opened up uh, and we, we, we build six positions to help us process all bookings and, and process all the, the inquiries. 
Now, typically, if we opened a post like that up, you know, a three-month contract on fairly, fairly kind of manual clerical work, it would, we'd get about 10 applications over a six-week period. We got 177 applications in 24 hours. Some of them were sales directors, um, you know, people way overqualified for those roles. So it just tells you the, you know, the current state of play in, in this sector. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's great to just take advantage of wherever there is an opportunity to provide work uh, for those people. Yeah, and it's a common um, feature of an economic crisis that we see people, you know, um, sort of overqualified for positions sort of trading down essentially in order to um, keep an income coming in. And um, in terms of the, the amount of jobs that have been furloughed that will still exist after the furlough scheme ends, I mean, obviously we'll find out in the next couple of months, but I mean, I think we can all see that there'll be a significant proportion of those jobs that don't exist past the end of furlough. And obviously that's a key concern for what it might mean for the economy and the scarring effects of that over the next year or so. So, so yes, absolutely. You talked about taking on additional um, employees and also what you've had done over the, the period of the crisis and the lockdown to kind of keep everybody attached to you and then bring them back as, as the business opened up again. Have you seen your ways of working change throughout the crisis? And are there any of these that are kind of going to persist, you know, things that innovations that you've had to be sort of forced into, which, uh, you know, actually have been quite positive for your, the way your business works? Well, I think going through something like this um, can be either hugely damaging or hugely bonding for a business and a group of people we're a small team there's about 46 of us and we like many businesses overnight had to get used to being 100 percent uh, remote and um, i was campaigning to get us remote working actually uh, earlier than boris's announcement so i got us all maybe about a week before the official lockdown and i'm very glad i did because unbeknown to me I actually had Covid symptoms at the time and then came down with all the symptoms on the first day of our um, premature lockdown that we had within our business so uh, I'm glad I didn't pass that around the office. Um, uh, so there's the I guess the, the personal toll and anxiety of you know a horrific illness out there that nobody really knows much about and you know wanting to keep everybody safe uh, and we have we've put a lot of thought and energy and effort into how we do that in a way that gives people the support they need at home. Uh, we've got a lot of people who work, who live on their own, so they don't have interaction with people day to day. Um, so what we actually did was we, we, right through lockdown, every single day, we had a, a, a twice a day check-in with everybody in the company via a, a, a video call. And every day uh, we rotated chairing this and someone had to set a challenge for the day. And these were just lighthearted, you know, uh, something to keep everybody engaged and get a bit of kind of, I guess, banter and, you know, uh, camaraderie amongst the team. Uh, and as they got further and further in, the challenges become, became more obscure <laughs> and the inventiveness uh, uh, really, really increased. So, um, uh, we had Where's Wally pictures of, you know, people that actually created collages of crowds and inserted people in the team in them. And, you know, people were, you like this one, Gordon, people were um, saying, where's the sheepdog and photoshopping out sheepdogs and things like that. So, um, so we found that, you know, just really helped to engage us and keep us all um, human and, and, you know, looking out for each other. Um, we actually did a, a survey as well and, uh, you know, 
we routinely check in with our staff to see how, how we're doing and the feedback from that was fantastic. Um, we actually got feedback that 80% of the team reported as having very high energy levels um, at the higher end of the scale. 95% uh, of them felt part of the team. Uh, we had about 90% of respondents saying that they had everything that they needed to work from home and for anyone else we obviously put measures in place to help them. 95% of them felt they could speak openly to someone about how they were feeling, which is really important. You know, I've had days of people on the phone to me in, in tears saying, I'm just having a really bad day today. Everything's got on top of me. I'm feeling, you know, really miserable. It's important that we can be there for each other. And 100% of the people in our team rated that their team's effectiveness whilst working remotely was good or very good. So I think certainly one of the things that we'll take away from this is we have proven that we can be highly productive working from home and we found a way to teamwork that we didn't have before and if anything it's, it's strengthened our bond as a company. We were also careful with things like you know when we were doing the furlough scheme we were very very conscious that some people might feel ostracized or that their job is less important than others so we did it in a rotational way so we had people rotating for three weeks at a time and um, so no one was disengaged from the business you know for too long a period you know to keep everybody engaged um, and I, I'm so pleased to say you know when, when we did the salary reduction um, we didn't force that on our team it was an opt-in and uh, within, I'm going to get emotional now <laughs> within 24 hours the entire team was opted in and that came from a, a desire from everybody to do to do the right thing for everyone rather than have anybody lose their job um, so it shows a real, um, I guess, human spirit, human kindness and wanting to, you know, solidarity stick together uh, as a team. Well, that's a, a really positive note to end on in terms of um, uh, the way that you kept your team together. And I like your description of uh, new ways of working in a team um, that you've discovered um, through necessity, I guess, through the crisis. Um, and interesting, your approach to furlough as well, the rotational approach to ensure that people aren't detached from work or their employer for too long. Because one of the dangers is, of course, is, you know, the kind of atrophy of skills or, you know, um, detachment from the business that can come through, through a long period of not being involved in the business. Well, thank you both very much for joining me today. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion. I might go and have a look at that property myself, Gordon. Uh, sounds very interesting. Um, so, I'll send your link, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd just like to thank very much uh, Bex and Gordon for, for giving up their time today and, and joining me. Um, you can find all of our um, previous podcasts as well as this one um, on all ma major streaming platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you can keep up to date with our latest um, thoughts on the economy. Also, you can see all of our articles um, on uh, the impact of the coronavirus pandemic and everything else to do with the economy at fraseroballander.org. So thanks very much for joining us today and we'll see you again for the next Fraser of Allender podcast. <laughs>